Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Mark Danis, and my co-host in the studio with me is Francis Harry. Hi, Francis. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Great to have you back. Uh, Francis is going to um, spend this program talking to us about a recent trip she made. This is your family vacation to uh, <laughs> Iowa, isn't Big it, family. <laughs> oh, international family. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, we're going to spend the evening uh, talking about uh, the recent Carmelite Congress held in uh, Boston, Massachusetts this this year. Well, Wakefield, but it's Wakefield, the Boston just, area. Just outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. And Francis was lucky enough to be able to attend. We're going to be lucky enough to be able to hear, uh, for those of us, many of us, including myself, who were not able to attend, um, exactly what came out of the Congress, the theme, the speakers, and some of the key messages. And I have the great privilege of being able to sit and listen to Francis this <laughs> evening because he's the source of knowledge for this for this uh, particular program. <clears throat> well, Francis, if we can, let's um, first of all begin with prayer. And uh, I think we especially want to lift up uh, the folks in the uh, communities around the Gulf Coast um, today because um, we are, um, a- as we're listening to this program, of course, the storm is out in the Gulf and uh, moving its way. We're not sure entirely what direction, but we know there will be an impact in the Gulf region. And so we want to lift those people up in prayer, uh, particularly here on um, uh, this program. Yes, Our Lady of Prompt Secure, please come to our aid, protect all those communities there. Um, from all damage of tropical storms and hurricanes. But um, I want to start with this special prayer to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, too. Um, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, look down upon your children. Help each of us to imitate your fidelity to contemplative prayer, your promptness in doing the will of the Father, and your generosity in the practice of charity towards all, according to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, your spouse. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, so, Francis, um, we um, would like to hear about your flight arrangements and all the rest of it, but... <laughs> <clears throat> because I know that the Holy Spirit was watching over you. I'm sure that went smoothly. So tell us about uh, about being in the Boston area. Now, you said Wake. Uh, Wakefield, Wakefield, Massachusetts, yes. And um, it's it's in the Washington province. When you divide up the United States, there's three major provinces, and um, the one on the east coast is the Washington province, and incidentally not named after Washington, D.C., but after the county of Washington where um, Holy Hill is located, which is the uh, basilica. In Wisconsin, right? mm-hmm. Yes, right. which is the basilica that our <coughs> discussed Carmelite friars are in charge of, Mary Help of Christians. Um, wonderful shrine. Um, so I encourage everybody to check that out in Hubertus, uh, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, known as Holy Hill. And... Um, so that was the Washington province, and then there's the Oklahoma province in the middle, and then the California, Arizona province on the west coast. So, uh, But people from all over came to Wakefield. Now, um, tell us a little bit about the Congress. What is it uh, uh, for our members who didn't have the opportunity to attend, or uh, maybe those who are um, not themselves Carmelites who wouldn't be exposed to this event? Um, how often does the Congress happen? 
Okay, it happens every year, but mm-hmm. only once every three years in our province. So this year was in the Washington province, and I believe um, next year is going to be in Portland, Oregon. Right. And then the following year, um, I think, is Atlanta, Georgia. And then in 2015, whoo, the big one is going to happen. And guess where? Well, it's our turn back into the Washington province, and that is going to be so huge because that'll be the fifth centenary celebration of St. Teresa of Avila's birth. And um, so they're going to have it in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with a bus trip to Holy Hill uh, right. there in Hubertus. So to see that Basilica of the National Shrine of Mary Help of Christians. So um, anyway, so it, it it hopscotches, you know, every three years amongst those provinces. But um, it's a gathering of our discalced um, Carmelite family. Um, and there are people from all over the world that come. Uh, of course, predominantly the United States, since it's located here. But one lady um, came from uh, Kenya. And oh so my. that was really, really neat to be speaking with her. And we had, of course, our many of our Discalced Carmelite Friars. Uh, so you're getting to see more of them gathered there than you'll ever see anywhere else, typically. So now, You didn't buy any books while you were there. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I see that there were books available. So. Of course. <laughs> and, of course, I bought lots of books. <laughs> but I did not go over my weight limit. Um, and I wonder how many of our Carmelites did because there was a, they had a lot of great vendors there. Um, you know, we are gathering there to learn more about Carmel, to be immersed in Carmel. Um, a Congress is, is kind of another name for like, like a convention, only, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this is a very formative, um, uh, opportunity. Um, and I was interested in finding out that it wasn't just the Discalced Carmelite members that were there, but also people aspiring to come into oh. Carmel. There were some guests there, and I'm like, ooh, what an immersion in Carmelite spirituality to come here and have this four days and, and you know, just really be inundated into this. Um, and it was so beautifully planned. Um, the MC was Loretta Gallagher. This is an incredible woman. Um, she's hilarious. Mm. She has a great attention for detail, a great organizer, a great motivator. She was Catholic Woman of the Year in 2009 for Boston. Um, she's doing so much in Boston for the vocations to the priesthood. Um, she arranges pilgrimages to several countries and um, just an amazing woman of very lovable, so filled with Carmelite spirituality. <laughs> and she herself is a Carmelite? Oh, yes. Great. Yes, absolutely. Many, well, many years. From the Danver- Danvers, Massachusetts um, community, which also has a monastery of discalced Carmelite nuns there. Yeah, I've actually communicated with them on occasion oh. when I've had to reach out for prayer. Uh, one of the things you can do, of course, is reach out to the various Carmelite uh, monasteries across the country, and some of them have a prayer request pages, and uh, I happen to have reached out to them. They're very responsive. I can tell you they wrote me back and lifted me up in prayer, and it was very encouraging. Um, so tell us about the theme. What was the theme for the congregation? They all have a theme, don't they, a unique theme? Yes, they do have a theme, and this was an incredible theme. It was do whatever he tells you. So it's honoring the Blessed Mother, Queen.
queen and beauty of Carmel. And then there were thematic elements of the sea. You know, um, there was a big picture of Our Lady, I believe it was Our Lady of Trapani, um, which has the image of her holding the baby Jesus and the scapular coming from his hands. And in the background is the sea and the this boat of sailors that are in trouble. Um, uh, and there was also, um, you know, elements of, of fishnet and shells and, you know, being a drop in the ocean of mercy. And um, I have to say that, um, you know, they g- kept throwing in these little Boston elements. Like, you know, for our final meal, we had a Boston lobster, but it, it wasn't the, the big part that you eat. It was a little candied lobster. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they'd give us shells with the shield on it. Just um, little things. Um but what was really amazing is that when you and I talked before going, uh, you had counseled me very wisely to take on a mentor, a spiritual mentor with me, and um, we'd come up with St. Tracy the Andes. And, Mark, I was so shocked when I got there. <laughs> and in the Adoration Chapel, um, I have the uh, monstrance in the center, and on the left is this big image of Our Lady of Trapani. And, you know, you've got these shells and nets and little tea lights and sand and everything. And on the right was this huge poster framed of St. Teresa of the Andes. And underneath it, with all the nets and the shells, um, was this quote, um, I have been caught in the nets of the divine fishermen. Ah! That was amazing. A quote directly from St. Teresa of the Andes. Right. Yeah. And um, so... I have to tell you, Francis, they called me ahead and told me that they were going to have <laughs> Boy, you've got an in. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been on the planning committee. <laughs> yeah. No, in all seriousness, I would like to say that we are planning a, um, a series on St. Teresa of the Andes. Uh, next week, uh, the 3rd of September in our calendar, uh, we will be doing a... Um, a different program, but thereafter, beginning in September, the balance of September, uh, we will be doing St. Teresa of the Andes for yeah. probably three or four weeks. She's really quite a dynamic um, uh, saint in, in our order. Um, and has so much to share, not just for Carmel, but for the entire church. And Father Daniel Channing had just written and told me that a lot of miracles are occurring through her intercession throughout the Americas. Well, so there you go, listeners. There's your opportunity to learn about a saint who seems to be coming very much to the fore right now in our church. And we'll say more about that during that series. But it's a bit of a teaser to encourage you, one, to listen, uh, and two, perhaps receive many graces from... um, uh, coming to understand and coming to develop perhaps a relationship with St. Teresa of the Andes. I do want to give our listeners just a moment, Francis, because I know many of them uh, who are listening may well have questions about uh, your experience and what else you may have uh, learned. We're certainly going to hear more about that. But if you'd like to uh, ask Francis a particular question about the Congress, feel free to give us a call and join the conversation here at Carmelite Conversations by dialing one eight six six. Three 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 six two seven nine. Again, that's one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. Well, Francis, um, I, I want you to continue with sort of the layout of the the experience. What what the facilities were like there? How do they present? I know this is a. Uh, akin to a retreat of sorts. So how did they present that uh, image, that environment? Well, basically, we got the whole bottom floor of this um, hotel, 
And, um, you know, there would be a vendor area, there would be the Adoration Chapel area, and then there would be the big presenter's room, which was also where we had mass. And, of course, there, oh, a beautiful statue of the Blessed Mother in there. Oh, my gosh, it was gorgeous. And, um, you know, there's a great opportunity to rub shoulders with fellow Carmelites and with our friars whom, you know, were there in abundance, and also our diocesan priests who are discalced Carmelite um, seculars hmm. because our diocesan priests can do that. And we even had some of the ancient observants there with us. Um, it was really, really wonderful. Um, you bring up an interesting point, and I just want to uh, reemphasize something we've talked about before. You said that uh, diocesan priests can become secular, in effect, secular Carmelites. And it doesn't mean secular, of course, as in the world. They are not. They are um, uh, uh, vowed priests, but they join the secular order because their uh, uh, vow, of course, is to the diocese and to the uh, bishop of that diocese. Uh, but there are two famous individuals who uh, many of our listeners will know were um Carmelites, they were members of the Carmelite order, even though they were themselves diocesan priests. Uh, the first would be a famous pope. Yes, we had that quiz show yeah. <laughs> oh, so a, a number of months of back. Know. Should we tell them who it is? Yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. tell them. It's Pope John Paul II. John Paul II was actually wore the scapula and was himself a member of the Carmelite order um, through um, through the secular community, the Carmelite yeah. order. Uh, but there's another priest, a famous priest. Yeah, and, who's up uh, for canonization. Yeah, that's yeah. right. His cause is being advanced. Who is and an we're archbishop. Just gonna leave that. We're going to leave that one. He was an archbishop in the United States. His cause is up. And he also um, took um, uh, the, um, uh, I guess we would call it the vow, but to become a secular a promise. Uh, Carmelite, a promise, and yeah. then... And then um, uh, the vows are, are available to you, but uh, to become a member of the secular order and also wore the scapula. Let's leave that one out there as a quiz uh, okay. question for our listeners. <laughs> All, right. All right. But, you know, it, it was so wonderful to meet so many people who were immersed in Carmel. I mean, think about this. When's the last time you were in a room with over 225 discalced Carmelites? You know, of, of all levels. Um, and of course we had a few Dominican nuns there because they were, they were part of the vendors there, you know, bringing all their goods. And that was wonderful to see them. That was a joy. But I, I actually ran into my former president in the Brighton, Massachusetts community, Jenny. Uh, I met a lot of wonderful people. I told them I was going to say their name and I was hoping they would call in tonight and share a little bit, but like Kathleen and Bertie and Jenny. And Rosemary, Edith Belisaro, and her husband, who were from the Columbus community near us in the Dayton, Ohio area, Ed and Gail and Suzanne and John, Sandra, Hattie. I, I just had to, I, you know, had to say <laughs> these people were wonderful. I enjoyed them so much. And, you know, we were all enjoying this time. And, of course, the Mass is always powerful. But when you think that you're in a mass where everybody's very intensely praying, I mean, it just antes it up yeah. in a sense, you know. Um, now, they had how many masses over the time you were there? Well, we had um, a mass every day. Okay. So we opened up. Um, of course, they had mass Thursday morning. The provincial council had been there. But um, on Friday morning, you know, we all gathered for mass. And, and but, that but one. But the entire forum gathered each day yes, for mass. Yes. Terrific. That's yes, fantastic. Yes. So that was really wonderful. Well, I'm going to leave the Saturday morning celebration to um, your notes here. I see the celebrant for that, and I'd like to hear 
uh, what oh. his uh, presentation was about. But let me ask you about the opening speaker. Oh, um, gosh, The yes. opening Congress. Uh, Father Donald Calloway? Yes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about his story. Oh, my goodness. Everybody out there, if you get a chance to see him live, it's well worth it and take everybody you know. Um, Father Donald Calloway is from the Congregation of Marians of the Immaculate Conception, and he's like the poster child for Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Um, he is right now, I believe, in um, Steubenville, Ohio, um, uh, working with the, the Marian location. House of Studies at the Marian House of Studies yes. in Steubenville. Yeah. Yes. Um, so um, he's written a lot of books um, recently, but I mean, his conversion story was amazing. And so, um, now, his uh, book is "No Turning Back: A y- Witness to yes. Mercy." Yes, yes, and and that is just one of them. Um, he's a new one that's coming out is under, I think it's called "Under Her Mantle," and he's told us Carmelites not to steal his title. <laughs> but anyway, he was very personable, and he um, was telling about his background. You know, here was a person who wasn't brought up in any faith tradition. He was a high school dropout. He got into drugs. He was a party animal. Um, you know, he showed us a picture of himself with hair down to his waist, you know, wavy, uh, you know, the psychedelic clothing, the beads. You know, it was the era of, you know, the hippies and everything. Um, he was institutionalized twice, thrown in jail multiple times. And he had a radical conversion. And, and it was really amazing how this even happened. Um, he said um, he had come, he'd been in and out of his parents' home many times. In fact, they, they had gotten kicked out of Japan because of his antics. Um, his father was military, and, you know, his father has to retire early because of his antics. And, you know, a, this was a problem child. And um, in that whole process, his parents become Catholic. And they start praying to St. Monica, whose feast day is, what, today, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, she's part of the story, too, so thank you, St. Monica. Anyway, so the mother is praying ardently for her son. Um, this is his third father, but he's adopted him, and yet this, you know, what a problem child. But anyway, so he's coming in and out of the home many times, and he comes home one time, and nobody's there, and he hears silence for the first time, and he is he said, like, you know, he's really frightened. He was uh, uh, really uh, taken by this silence. And um, he was trying to find something to occupy his mind. And he finds a book on the Blessed Mother. It happened to be one on um, the apparitions, the alleged apparitions of Mary in Medjugorje. Mm-hmm. And he, he doesn't want to read. He's not a reader, but he had lots of pictures in it. So he's seeing the pictures of the six children in the ecstasy, you know, with the Blessed Mother talking to him. And he's like, well, geez, they look like they were kind of bombed out. You know, so he's he's looking at it through very secular eyes and everything. Um, and, you know, he has no understanding of the faith. Uh, so he begins to show how Mary is now being used by God as the bait. You know, Mary is the bait of God, and he was baited by God. I think that was a phrase that Catherine of Siena had used, too. So God uses Mary to lure him back to him. And one of the words that he did read that she supposedly said was, you're not happy because you're sinning, and that struck his heart. And, you know, it really made sense to him. 
And, um, you know, all this time, you know, he's thinking Jesus is just a myth, you know, like the Easter Bunny and all this stuff. And, you know, when he's sharing this story, Mark, it was amazing because, I mean, he is very animated and he is hilarious. And he talks in the same lingo that a teenager of, you know, of those days would do. I mean, so he really had it, had it down. It was um, really amazing. But so now he sees a mother of Jesus. So now Jesus can no longer be a myth because now this mother is introduced as, as Jesus's mother. And he's really drawn to her because, um, you know, of what she said. And he has this major conversion. Um, he uh, really feels her presence and, you know, feels a tangible peace. And so he throws out all his drug paraphernalia, anything that had to do, you know, with his current lifestyle. All in a matter of minutes in from minutes. the impact of the Blessed Mother. Yes, and he throws it all. He doesn't even put it in the trash. He, just, he says he had five garbage bags full of stuff, and he just threw it out on the front lawn. <laughs> oh, my. And then he goes to goes to find a priest he's struggling to tell his mom and his mom saying go donnie go you know go go to the catholic chaplain on the base and you know then he tells the story about meeting the catholic chaplain and how you know um this guy he's like i don't know what a catholic chaplain is what's a catholic priest you know and you know well you know uh he goes on and on about this and then you know the catholic priest tells him you know to go to the back of the church and wait for him because he has to say mass and so he's watching this mass and he's like why is he holding up this little white circle thing what are those ladies doing and he's talking about the filipino praying and you know he's imitating what they say oh do you want to pray the rosary you know <laughs> and um you know of course he's saying how you know what that looked like to him as a non-believer and then during that mass when they consecrated the um body and blood of christ he hears within himself worship and a second time worship and so all of a sudden he's having this infusion of knowledge about the divine presence and then of course he goes back to tell the priest all of this and he's just you know can you imagine what that priest would have thought um so anyway that that began his track back into um uh, into a good lifestyle and to become a catholic and then to become a priest. And now he is out there bringing other souls. Um, an amazing, amazing story. He said that, um, you know, that Satan appeared to him and that, you know, Mary was really uh, the divine detox, you know, uh, this great peace. And he was bathed in the mercy of God and that, you know, this was the divine rehabilitation center of God. And um, just... I, I recommend highly anybody who can get a, a DVD of him or go see him live. It is well worth it. He also has a series of uh, books on um, the Immaculate Heart. I, I I can't remember now the title, and I apologize. Maybe you've got it. We can find it on the break. But uh, I recognize his name. I have actually heard a DVD of his story, and he talks about being wrapped up actually in the in the Japanese mafia, if you will. Oh yes, he's in the drug um, um, business and so forth, and very dangerous. I mean, very much living on the edge. So a remarkable story, and what a great story of redemption! What a great story about the power of the Blessed Mother, and how quickly she can work in our lives. And here is a, a person who, in fairness, really wasn't. 
uh, open to it, right? right? I mean, the Blessed Mother obviously picked him out and said, hey, we're going to get you on the straight and narrow here, and like a mother can do sometimes. Yeah, and isn't she it appears to have grabbed him by the ear and sort of pulled yeah. him back in the line. And, and isn't it interesting? It was silence that really struck him. Yeah. You know, we always talk about silence. And um, I, I was just very impressed with his whole story. And it gives us hope because, you know, we know a lot of people out there, young people who are struggling or people who, you know, are written off as losers. And here, this guy, if he had a title, it would have been loser, you know. Mm. And yet, look at him now. He is this poster child uh, priest that is, you know, encouraging people to believe in God's presence and his mercy and is drawing other souls. And that's very exciting. Uh, our mother can turn lives around, you know, for our listeners who may be struggling with a wayward child or a wayward sibling or maybe a wayward parent, uh, mm-hmm. I can strongly encourage you to give that person over to the Blessed Mother. Commit them to the Immaculate Heart. If they won't do it for themselves, you do it for them. Pray your rosaries for them. Visit the Eucharist for them. Commit them to the Blessed Mother. Ask her to cover them in her mantle. There is remarkable power in that. And our uh, Lord, of course, does not uh, reject uh, the um, the requests of his mother. One thing he said before we go to the break yeah. that I thought was really quite um, uh, powerful. He said, "Beauty in the hands of Satan destroys man's heart, but beauty in the hands of God restores them." Mm. And he was so attracted to the beauty of Mary that was the bait and really brought him back. Well, that's a great story. We have a lot we want to cover in the Congress. So when we come back, uh, Francis, I would really love to hear about uh, this uh, Father Frolin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and I won't, uh, I won't uh, tease our audience, but uh, do come back. Join us in just a few minutes and as we take a break here on Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Dear Lamb of God, left His glory. 
Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, Francis, I want to remind our listeners that before we took the break, actually halfway through the early part of the program, we uh, laid out that quiz question of a very well-known archbishop. Uh, who was also a secular or third order or uh, a member, if you will, of the Carmelite order, even though he was a diocesan priest and, of course, later an archbishop. And was a discalced Carmelite secular. Right, mm-hmm. and, and uh, wore, the, um, wore the scapula. Uh, we'll give one last clue. He was an archbishop in the city of New York. And, and love to res. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's probably enough if we've got a brave caller out there who wants to uh, take our quiz and offer the answer. Uh, the number here is one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. Again, one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. And Mark, I have so much more to tell you. Yes. So um, on Friday, we Mm -hmm. got to hear Father Thomas Otanga. Um, He's a friar, discussed Carmelite friar of the Washington province, but he was born in Kenya. And he had spoken at the last Congress I'd gone to um, three years ago. And he was wonderful. And he left us with three challenges to the OCDS. Number one, share your own reflections on Mary, write in publications. Two, set up... Uh, uh uh, by writing, he's saying. Yeah, yeah. us to write the yep. articles, yep. you know, to share our love for Mary. Great challenge. Yes. Yep. Um, set up groups and enroll people in the Confraternity of the Brown Scapular. I thought, okay, wonderful. And organize Marian pilgrimages to area shrines and throughout the world. So um, wonderful challenges. He's very good at when he comes and does talks to leave you with challenges. So I'd like to point that out. And then we had um, the votive mass of the Sacred Heart with Father Donald Kinney. And then we had Father Paul Folan, um, OCD, a discussed Carmelite friar, who spoke on the image, the icon of Labrona, which means the dark one, um, which is Carmelite's earliest book of spirituality. And he talked about this image. And you could not find a holy card of this image anywhere. So the provincial council... Uh, made it happen. They got several of these copied and printed up just for us at the Congress. And so um, at least we we have them now, but yeah, you can our, see them for online. For our listeners, yeah, I was going to say, you can find this online. The actual spelling is Labruna. It's L-A, small a, uh, with a um, capital B, R-U-N-A. If you type that in, uh, you can call up the image online of Labruna. 
Yes, and it's really um, an amazing story about um, the kind of image it is, that it is one of tenderness. Um, it's the Greek word, I believe, is elusa, E-L-E-U-S-A. And, um, you know, there's she is holding Jesus close, and, you know, he's up there by her cheek, and his hand is under her chin. And, of course, uh, an icon is something that you experience all at once. It's it's not a successive thing. And, and he was talking about the colors and what they meant and the positioning of the hands and like the shape of her face was like egg-shaped, which imaged her fertility as mother of God and, you know, all these little different nuances. So, uh, But you can Google uh, La Bruna and come up with many um, places to read about that. But that was an amazing um, talk. And then we met our provincial delegate. And for um, all of us, it might be a different person um, because our province has three provincial delegates um, under our main provincial. And then um, we had a Father Leopold Gluckert, which is from the ancient observance of Carmel, talk about Mary and the Carmelites and an 8th century love affair. And he basically talked about that book of the 10 um, institutions of the Carmelites or the 10 books of the, I can't remember what my, where I wrote that title at, but we had mentioned it just recently on a program. Yeah, the, and the ways and the, uh, the, the I, I forget too, the 10... Uh, Spiritual, uh, it's it's the earliest spiritual text the for the Carmelites. The great deeds of the Carmelites. Yeah, great deeds of the Carmelites. But anyway, right. this was a, a big, important uh, document. Um, it was have a lot of fictional uh, history, but at any rate, um, he said it's a, it's like a myth, but it, it is a story that has a truth. So even if it's not historically proven, the truth of it is, and I really like that. Uh, and he had much to offer there. Um, we have a caller. Breaking in on you right now. We have a caller we're holding. If you'd like to take the call now, absolutely. Yes. Okay, you're on. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank yes. You for hi. How my are call. you? I oh, thank you for calling in. Oh well. Uh, first of all, you have to give us your name. Uh, Louise. Louise. Well, thank you for calling, Louise. Go ahead. We'd love to hear your uh, your answer. Uh, it, I think it's Bishop Sheen. You are absolutely right. Yay! Congratulations. <laughs> I just now Francis has wonderful. agreed. Francis has agreed to loan you her car for one week. You just have to be in Cincinnati <laughs> to use it. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> well, Eloise, where are you calling from? Uh, from the Houston area. Oh, fantastic. We have a couple listeners in the Texas area. I know we've gotten emails from that area. Well, that's fantastic. How long have you been listening to Carmelite Conversations? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Maybe four or five months. Maybe longer. Oh, that's fantastic. I I love Radio Maria. I love EWTN. So when I'm not looking at EWTN, I have the radio on. So I've been listening forever, it seems. I just don't remember exactly. So, you know, it's so Well, that's all right. We appreciate it. We I we appreciate it. that you've been listening, and, and we love the fact that uh, our folks call in from time to time. It's uh, it's a pleasure to hear and know that we have listeners out there. Car, I think uh, Francis and I would show up and do the program either way. <laughs> We're having a great time having a conversation, yeah, but it's we, always nice to have more. It's always hey, nice I to have other people in the conversation. About the holy faith, is, I, I think it, at that time I started to listen. So maybe at that time or maybe uh, earlier. So because I love. Yes, I remember when we did that. 
that series on the Holy Face. That was a very important series and a wonderful devotion that uh, I certainly would encourage all of our listeners to look into, the devotion to the Holy Face. Uh, we'll certainly reprise that series at some point and, and go through that again. But, Eloise, thank you very oh, much for welcome. calling. It's been a pleasure uh, having you. Oh, I, I love thank both you. of you, and I love hearing about the Lord. So thank you both. Well, thank you. God bless. Wonderful. It's great when people call in. Okay, so I'm going to go on and tell you about our votive mass of Our Lady of Mount Carmel that was held on that Saturday, and it was with Cardinal Sean O'Malley, the Archbishop of Boston. And I have never met a cardinal, and this one is a very tall one with a low, booming voice, a great sense of humor, very humble. And, I mean, he had so many threads of Carmel that he brought into his homily. The first reading was on Elijah, so he started there and just kind of went through all of our saints. Now, he himself, I think, is a Franciscan. Is he a Franciscan? Yes, a Capuchin Franciscan. Yeah, I thought he was. Yes, but what is interesting, and he shared with us two interesting Carmelite uh, connections here. Mm -hmm. Number one, his bishop's ring and his bishop's motto is... Do whatever he tells you, Mm. which was the theme of our Congress. So how appropriate to have him come and speak with us and on that theme. And that was beautiful. And then he also said that uh, when he was uh, going from Philadelphia um, up to Boston, let's see, was that right? Uh, that he was in charge of the, no, it was over in Europe, um, where he was in charge of the church where Bernini's statue, the famous statue of St. Teresa of Avila in ecstasy, mm-hmm. uh, with the transverberation of her heart, with the angel seraph, mm-hmm. uh, the dart, and, um, you know, that you can see online. But he was the, um, bishop of that church. And he says, so, so doesn't that make him an honorary Carmelite? <laughs> and how he wanted to take this statue with him. And they said, well, Napoleon tried, but couldn't, so. <laughs> Um, but anyway, he was very wonderful, uh, tying in all these Carmelite themes all together. And our closing prayer tonight will actually be one of his closing comments on his homily. So um, I'll just kind of tie that in there at the end. But very good, uh, encouraging us to stand at the foot of the cross. Now, he said he saw a movie uh, about the Blessed Mother. And, you know, the other friars in there were that he was around, you know, were like, oh, no, you went to see that one. You know, that director's a communist. <laughs> and he's like, uh, well, you know, the movie was really good. And, you know, it was uh, uh, interesting that though they had Mary like flailing at the foot of the cross and that kind of bothered him. Mm. And the response from these others were, well, you Americans, you'll never understand. If they didn't have the mother flailing like that, then, you know, you wouldn't believe that they lo- that she loved him. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, um, that was an interesting insight. But then we had a breakout session uh, where we got to, to choose, and I went to a session on operating an effective council, and there was a lot of good guidance there. And then we had our banquet, and oh my gosh, the detail that they had at the tables. Of course, you know, we still have this uh, harbor theme and shells and uh, a bag full of goodies, and we had a raffle for three statues of the infant Jesus of Prague, but they dressed him up 
in a Carmelite habit. And it, so that was really amazing. And well, of course, the Infinite Prague is a is a Carmelite devotion, right? Yes. Oh, uh, big devotion in the Carmels. Yeah. And so, um, what was interesting is that you know, uh, it seemed like the people in the back of the banquet were winning, and the lady at my table said, "Well, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, boy, did she get that right?" Well, what was amazing is when they started this raffle, there were three statues, and one lady won two of them. And it just so happened she had just given her daughter to Carmel in a monastery. So um, she had a double portion. Oh, my. And she was right beside me. I was like, oh, Lord, you're so generous. Now, just uh, for my own benefit, I haven't had the chance to go to one of the Congress uh, uh, gatherings yet. They have the main speakers, obviously, as you've discussed, and some of the major themes of their presentations. They also have these individual breakouts. Is everything sort of built around the theme itself? I see the titles of some of the different... Uh, breakouts, but everything's sort of built on that central theme. Then, well, um, most everything. This th- when we when we had our optional sessions, um, you know, with our provincial delegate, and um, on these uh, individual sessions that we chose from, uh, it wouldn't necessarily stay with that theme. Mm-hmm. But everything, all the big presentations, and you know, the way they de- decorated and everything. Um, that all came together, and it was, you know, Mary, the Blessed Mother, right. um, and do whatever he tells you to. So it's like the um, the Cardinal was encouraging us to you know, be like Mary. You know, she is with us, and she's standing firm at the foot of the cross. Yeah, this, this theme of um, standing at the foot of the cross, this is, of course, for us from Brother Lawrence, right? Yes. That we should be constantly standing at the foot of the cross. And Mary is the perfect model, the perfect image of that. Now, I also notice on here that you each morning and each evening did morning and evening prayer. Oh, yes, we did. I'm so glad you brought that up because I ran right past that. Um, that's so, I'm just that's trying a to normal imagine. part of the day. I'm trying to imagine doing that with, you know, assuming most of the people are there. So you've got over 200 people, yes. Carmelites now, right. uh, praying both morning and evening prayer together. We've done yes. it, of course, uh, Francis, in our uh, retreats uh, with 50 people thereabouts. But now we're talking four times that in this uh, large auditorium uh, room, all praying morning and evening prayer. I have to imagine that's very powerful. It was very powerful. And, um, you know, three years ago when I was at the Congress, um, they did chant it. This year, they decided to just recite it. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little different, um, but they divided the room basically left and right, and so we did it in a choral sense. Um, so that was good. And, you know, again, it was a great opportunity to be praying all together and, you know, such um, such inspiration there. And the lady who was the cantor um, for our masses um, I have to bring her up. Her name is Alyssa St. Clair. Oh, my gosh. It was like an angel was singing. Mm. And what a difference it makes to be led in song um, and at Mass when she was cantering. Oh, my gosh. It was breathtaking. Now, we're mentioning morning and evening prayer, Francis. Of course, some of our listeners may not know what that is. How about if we do a program on that? Hey, I, that's a great <laughs> idea. Oh, because there's so much to learn about praying the Divine Office, which is also known as Christian prayer, which is also known as the Liturgy of the Hours. Right. And as Carmelites, we have an obligation to do morning and evening prayer. So, well, I have to get into um, one other special thing that they gave us. And then our last speaker, um, two really incredible things. Um, in our little goodie bag, there was something special. And it was from the uh, uh, 
the help of Father Daniel Channing, whom we dearly love, um, he was in Spain, and he got um, a special relic holy card of St. Teresa of Avila's that had her um, famous bookmark, the one that says, Let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you. All things pass away, and it ends with God alone suffices. Anyway, so in our little goodie bags, there was tons of um, holy cards, but this one in particular was special because it was a relic card and because Father Channing had placed it on the altar and said Mass for us there at St. Joseph's, which was the first foundation Mm -hmm. of St. Teresa's. And, uh, of course, we've been celebrating that this week. Uh, um, So what a wonderful, wonderful gift that was. And then we got these wonderful mugs that had our Carmelite shield on it. And, you know, we just felt so Spoiled, you know, um, it was it was just such joy, and the black um, Catholic Boston choir uh, came to sing, and they got these people standing on their feet dancing in there. Yeah. <laughs> that was when, especially when they sang, when the blessings come down, um, and the prayers go up. Mm-hmm. When the prayers go up, the blessings come down. Oh my gosh, they got so excited! I mean, it was very vibrant. Sort Teresa of like a, been... a, a scene from Sister Act. Yes, uh, yes. With <laughs> yes, you know. And Saint Teresa, I'm sure, was smiling because she don't like no grumpy saint, you know. <laughs> and I could just envision her there with her little tambourine, you know, dancing around with us. It was beautiful. And then on Sunday, um, we had an amazing testimony from a. Uh, secular order discussed Carmelite member Paula Keene, K-E-E-N-E. And it was on how Our Lady delivered her from witchcraft. Now, she was born and raised in Salem, Massachusetts, which, of course, if you've read uh, the books on the Salem witch trials, mm-hmm. which a lot of high schools have you do, um, you would uh, associate Salem, Massachusetts with the witchcraft. Well, Paula Keene gave, came up and, and told us how, you know, at first this was a wonderful harbor town, beautiful community, but, you know, in the 60s and 70s it started to transition over into, you know, getting notoriety as associated with the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then the money bucks come in and people want to make a profit off of this. And so they're building this up and now there's a whole thing. In fact, there was an official pronouncement of the official witch of Salem by Michael Dukakis, who was governor at that time. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, anyway, uh, so she was going on to say how um, she got into this quite innocently and what, you know, such a good heart she had. Uh, and this is not to make a judgment on people who are of that tradition, but to say what it did to her um, and how she got into it because her mother basically was coming down with cancer and uh, her mother was looking for answers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing happened and led to another, and, you know, she's encouraging her daughter to, to find out about this, uh, looking for hope um, in the wrong place at this time. But anyway, so um, uh, Paula Keene says how she got into that and, uh, you know, thought she was just a good witch, you know, white witch, and, and basically says that in the end, you know, it, it all leads to a very oppressive, um, very uh, negative. Place. And yeah. she got to a point where um, she wanted to quit. Her her mother dies, and she wants to get out of this. But so she's slowly drawn into this lifestyle through, uh, as you say, the desire, genuine desire to assist her mother. She had the tradition, of course, that 
that sort of surrounded her there in Salem. And how many years was she involved in this uh, lifestyle, the mm. witchcraft lifestyle? Uh, I would think probably, you know, <coughs> 15, 20 years. Oh um, I mean, she studied. She was an, you know, like the prime, one of the major students of, of the major mm-hmm. uh, figure in that area mm-hmm. and um, was very knowledgeable. I mean, it, she went on to share several things, and it was an amazing story. But um, she uh, did fall into despair when she talked to a Father Angelo Rizzo, um, who wrote a book, Father Angelo Rizzo Speaks. And he, in his words to her, made her start to think about what's going on. And as a result of what he spoke to her, she started to see the manipulation that had been occurring within her own self that she wasn't aware of. And then it becomes more and more evident. And um, so now she sees this and she's trying to get out of it, but yet she's so compelled to continue. And yet she's trying to get out. So it's a real struggle within herself. And and now the title of the presentation was How Our Lady Delivered. So where does the Blessed Mother come into this uh, story? This was amazing. Well, she had been baptized Catholic, but hadn't been practicing. And in her desperate moment, she goes and she sees the church in her town, which was the Immaculate Conception. Mm. All right. And so she goes in and she feels peace and she decides to stay for mass. She goes up and receives communion. And she says as soon as she drank the precious blood that she felt the scales just falling and she started to sparkle within. She started to feel peace as soon as she had walked in the church. And now this, it was in a dramatic conversion. And she gave us a little holy card that had the chapel or the chalice that she drank out of with the image of the picture of Our Lady the Immaculate Conception behind it. But she, she tells us an, an important thing, um, a, a book that she recommends called Wicca and Witchcraft by Elizabeth Dodd, and it's published by the Catholic Truth Society. An yeah, amazing we should, we should emphasize, Francis, and, and again, in the same way that you did, we're certainly not making judgments on uh, these areas that neither of us are, are expert in, but um, two elements of this story, I think, are very powerful, much like the Father Calloway story uh, that you mentioned earlier, how quickly the Blessed Mother worked. You know, if we... Um, uh, find ourselves, let's say, in these moments of despair, or difficulty, or trial, or we feel trapped by something, how quickly the Blessed Mother can intervene. If we open that door, that light can just come uh, flowing through. The other thing, though, I think is important um, for us to acknowledge, there are those members, perhaps, in our uh, a circle of friends, in our family, uh, in, in close relations, who we may have concerns about. Uh, they may be involved in uh, uh, different forms of uh, uh, of occultism, uh, different lifestyles, whether it's an addiction or what have you. And if we are concerned about them, it is our right, it is our responsibility to intervene for those people and directly to the Blessed Mother. Right. Um, you know, pray the rosary, go before the Eucharist, uh, pray the prayers uh, to our Blessed Mother, and lift that person who may not be able to lift themselves out of that situation. They may be so overwhelmed by their circumstances that they can't see that light. But the Blessed Mother will break through on our prayers if we lift them up. 
And, you know, it really began innocently with her, you know, just like an eight ball, a Ouija board, you know, astrology, some of those things. And then, you know, it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And that was, you know, it just snowballed. So um, at first it was a hobby and then it became a lifestyle. Yeah. And then she had this great conversion moment. And there's so much more to her story. And um, I hope someday she uh, puts it into a book so that we can benefit from it. Or she does a talk. She's um, a, a very humble woman, not judgmental at all. You know, just saying what happened in her there's life. There's light and then there's whatever she was experiencing. And she was drawn to the light. I'd like you to give the reference of the book again. I think it's important, uh, again, for any of our listeners whose uh, family, friends, uh, close relations may be involved in any of these uh, uh, different lifestyles. Uh, Francis is going to cite the book, and I would offer it for a whole host of these uh, types of uh, uh, difficult situations. Let's just characterize it that way. Uh, give us the name of the book that she recommended, Francis. It's called Wicca and Witchcraft by Elizabeth Dodd, D-O-D-D, and it's published by the Catholic Truth Society. And I know they have a website, so Catholic Truth Society. Um, is a very good uh, one to give you some information. So, Francis, I have to ask you, what was the highlight of the, of the uh, Congress? I think the highlight was the spirit, the spirit of Carmel, being immersed in this ocean of divine mercy um, through Our Lady, through um, her mantle and being, um, you know, rubbing shoulders with all these others who love God so deeply and Our Lady and are trying to follow her. Um, it, it was very wonderful. And so I, I highly recommend if you have the opportunity, if you're um, interested in Carmelite spirituality or you are in the Order of Carmel, you know, come to these congresses. The next one, again, is in 2013 in Portland, Oregon. So next summer, Portland, Oregon will be the place. Well, Francis, thank you very much for sharing. I realize that I left the um, commentary duties largely up to you uh, on this program. It was a great opportunity for me to take a break and, and to hear a lot of wonderful information about the Congress. So thank you for that. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing for us, one more duty this evening, and that's close us in prayer. And this prayer comes from uh, uh, the words that Cardinal O'Malley shared with us at the end of his homily. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. A blessed mother, our lady of Mount Carmel, intercede for us. Help us to live as Christ's family, the family established on Mount Carm Mount Calvary at the foot of the cross, to climb the mountain of God, to stand at the foot of the cross, to joyfully receive Mary into our homes and hearts so that we may be faithful disciples and love each other as Christ loves us and to joyfully proclaim the good news to the world and do whatever he tells you. Amen. Well, thank you again for listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.